Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that uh, it's already Friday, and here we are at the end of the, another week. And I hope you've had a good week. I'm excited about a couple hours we have together. If you're going to catch me later on the podcast, welcome. So glad that uh, you found time to go to the podcast, which you can do at myfaithradio.com. I want to get the show started today with Dr. Alex McFarland. You know, he's a regular guest on the show and a friend, and a guy I can hardly wait to talk to every time he's on. Alex, welcome. Well, thank you, Bill. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much. Let me first ask how your big weekend was a couple of weeks ago. Oh, thank you so much, Bill. You are so kind. We did one of our national Truth for a New Generation conferences, and we had people from uh, four, at least 14 states, maybe 17 states. In fact, even last night we were going through more than 550 conference evaluations so at least 14 states represented, including like Washington State, um, people coming from, you know, Arizona, Texas, uh, Iowa, Kansas, the Midwest, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, uh, Connecticut. Wow. had a group come from Maryland. And our conference uh, in the fall of 2021 was in South Carolina. But we had Frank Turek and myself and Bishop E.W. Jackson and a journalist from Washington, D.C. named Sandy Rios, and we had a dozen speakers, and we were talking about biblical worldview. And we, we know that in 2022, we'll, we'll have at least one event in Oklahoma City. And, um, you know, right now we're vetting out about a dozen cities that have asked us to come. And, you know, uh, what we do, it's interesting, Bill, we we go over biblical worldview. What are the basics of a Christian worldview? But at the end of the first night, we always, the the second page of the conference workbook has John 3.16. Mm. And I always walk the audience through that verse, John 3.16, and I'll say, listen, you can't really defend your faith unless you have the Christian faith. So before we go any farther, let's explain what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, you know, it's funny, regardless of whether we have 500 people or 8,000 people, and generally we average around 2,500 to 3,000, but roughly 3 to 5% will make a first-time salvation decision. Wow. And so it, we, we make this apologetics conference evangelistic as well. Yeah, you know? as you should. Now, you've got me so interested. You're on John 316. Please continue. Well, yeah, uh, you know, we explain, uh, and we have, in all of our conferences, there's some basics we go over, like, how do we know God exists? How do we know Jesus rose from the dead? How do we really know that Jesus is the Son of God? How do we really know that the Bible is true? Now, in this most recent conference, we branched out into some other things like socialism and Marxism. Why Marxism? And socialism is not good for the human race. And what about wokeness? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? But uh, the basics of the Christian faith, creation, evolution, God, the Bible, these are common to all generations. And uh, in the, in 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, in other words, Jesus was sent from heaven, the Son of God, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We say we explain the gospel, and there are a number of ways that we do this, but we always explain to people that um, the, the Christian faith goes so much better when you're a Christian. <laughs> you know, I, I found that out. <laughs> well said. I, I, yeah, I'd been a church member for eight years, and then at 21 I found Christ personally. And um, Christianity is, is a lot more enjoyable when you're actually a Christian. Uh, and so we explain, and we, um, we give God the glory. TNG, Truth for New Generation, it's, it's largely an equipping event, mm-hmm. but there's an evangelistic quotient as well. Well, I, I don't want to let you off the hook here because I, I love that you talk about John 3.16, and I would love to hear some more of the way in which you go about presenting John 3.16 where you get maybe a 3% uh, response to that message. Well, thanks very much. Thanks very much. Well, so what we do, we, we're, we have some high-energy music uh, at the beginning, and then we have some high-energy speakers. And so we'll... Um, the and I will tell you this on Friday night, the first day of TNG, you know, house lights go down. We show some videos. We and this year we had a wonderful band that we've used about a half dozen times called the Bird Songs. The Bird Songs uh, are out of Tennessee and just amazing praise worship leaders. Usually, I save the altar call to the very end of the night, but sometimes after the first speaker, if I feel led to do it, I'll do it. Nice. But I come out and, you know, I, I say this, you know, everybody knows about God. Everybody knows about God, but Jesus offers us an opportunity to have a personal relationship with him. And in fact, not only is a personal relationship with Jesus very meaningful and the greatest experience of life, a personal relationship with Jesus is absolutely necessary to go to heaven. And before we go any farther, the most important thing, and, you know, it's pretty dramatic, but we, we say, look, maybe you're here because a friend invited you. Maybe you're here because you came, you know, for whatever reason. But before we do anything else, I'm going to ask you to evaluate the most important question of life. If I were to die, do I know that I know that I'm ready to meet God? And it's not based on you know, well, I, you know, I think I'm a pretty good person. Here is what the scripture says. And Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. Everybody. I'm a sinner. I'm a forgiven sinner, but we've all sinned. And Romans 6.23 says that what sin does is it brings death and separation. The wages or the result of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Romans 5, 8 says God demonstrated his love. In other words, God tangibly proved his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then I share a scripture, Romans ten thirteen says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, on the flip side of that is if you haven't called on the name of the Lord to be saved, you're not saved yet. I mean, nobody is accidentally saved without their knowledge. To receive a gift, you have to consciously say, I accept this gift that's being offered to me. And right now, God is offering you 
the gift of forgiveness, a relationship with his son. And wouldn't it be good if we could just have a clean slate and a fresh start? Well, that can begin right now. And I share this illustration. I've shared it on your show at least twice that I know of, Bill, about how I got a ticket for not wearing a seatbelt. It was $162 (laughs) of a fine. I -hmm. call up to pay this. The lady said, "Your, your, your debt has been paid. Maybe it was the cop who hears you on the radio. And the lady says to me, she says, I can take your credit card. You can pay this or you can accept that your debt has already been paid. And I share that illustration because, see, here's the thing. You actually, yes, you could pay for your sins, but it's called eternity in hell. See, separation from God, that's Romans 6.23. That's John 8.24. Jesus Christ said, uh, John 8.24, if you do not have a relationship with him, you will die in your sins. The loving, meek, and mild Lord Jesus said that. And so I say, look, here's the thing. You might have come here because you want to hear one of our speakers, or maybe you want to meet an author that you've read. But before we go any farther, I want to ask you to make sure that you know Christ. You have no idea whether you'll have this opportunity. In doing 48 citywide crusades in front of more than a quarter quarter million people, we've had people on the way from the venue to the hotel have a car wreck and die. That actually happened one time, a group in a van. So I said, you may not have this opportunity again. Would you, while you have this moment and the Spirit of the Lord is calling you, would you make sure that you have Christ? And I'm going to, and I'll have, you know, by this time, the, the, the bird songs might be playing a little keyboard music underneath what I'm saying, and I lead in a prayer. And Bill, you know, even right now, Somebody listening to your wonderful show might be thinking, you know, am I really ready to meet God? Goodness, we're, we're in a world of violence and terrorism and COVID and mortality where all people die. Bill, as a minister, I've done a funeral for a three-year-old. I've done a funeral for a hundred-year-old and everything in between. Mm-hmm. But what I would say to your audience right now, if you say in your heart, God, I I admit it. I'm a sinner. I know I am. And Lord, I am sorry for my sins. And, you know, even if you're, you're not verbalizing these words, but you're from your heart, you're talking to God. You say, God, I do believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I accept that he paid my sins. And Lord, I'm, I'm turning from sin. I believe in you. Lord, please forgive me. Wash my sins away. Lord, please save my soul. And may Jesus Christ be Lord of my life. Do you know what the Bible has promised? It's just amazing. If you pray and call out to God, he will hear you. God will receive you. In fact, his arms are open right now. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you can be saved. And Bill, how about if I do something? We've got a little book that we've given out to several hundred thousand people. It's called, What Does God Say About My Relationship With Him? And the first six or seven pages, it just explains what it means to be a follower of Christ. Then the the last eight or ten pages of this little booklet tells how to know the Lord, uh, how to grow, how to read the Bible, how to pray with power, 
how to have assurance of your salvation, and then how to defend what you believe. How about if I, can I send you a shrink-wrapped bundle of 10 or 20 of these little books, and in case somebody contacts Faith Radio, mm-hmm. and let me just say, if, if you've made a decision, you're listening, and you, you say, look, Jesus, I need you. Do you know you could say something as, as simple as that? Reach out to Faith Radio, and I'm going to ask them to follow up, and they'll send you this book. But, Bill, um, before this day is out, I'm going to ship you a couple of shrink-wrapped nice. packages of our... We give this... It, we've been in 50 states. People that have walked to an altar have received this little book, and I want your listeners to have it too, Bill. Oh, I love it. Alex, let me take a short break, because when I come back, I want to continue this amazing, wonderful time of ministry that we're doing. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. You can go to alexmcfarland.com. We'll take a short break and be right back. joyful celebration music to some person who has put their faith and trust in Christ in the last 15 minutes. Thank you so much, Dr. Alex McFarland, for uh, leading us through an understanding of John 3.16 and how important it is. And you laid out such a beautiful truth of the gospel. And when you uh, speak of truth, it's so beautiful in my mind, it is going to sound offensive to other people that if you don't come to saving faith in Christ and let the righteousness of Jesus come into your heart and uh, make you and transform you into a, a new person that you will not uh, end up being in God's presence after death. So mm. very important. And for those of you who uh, experienced a, a new birth in the last 15 or 20 minutes, it's because the Holy Spirit opened up your heart and allowed you to see this beautiful truth that Alex was talking about. And Alex was generous enough to have a booklet available. So if you made that decision and want to get your hands on that booklet, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484, and I will send you that book out, compliments of Dr. Alex McFarlane. Uh, Alex, Mm. thank you so much for that. That was uh, powerful and a little unexpected. Well, you know, our times together are always kind of (laughs) unscripted by us, directed by the Lord, aren't they? Yeah, they are, absolutely. Yeah, because everything I've prepared for today, we have not talked about yet. So <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but and, and by the way, you know what, we have, I think you and I have really good rapport on air, and uh, we never we never prep beforehand, although I, I pray about it, and I know you do too, Bill. So when we get together, we have a, ju- just two friends having a conversation, isn't it? Well, it is. I do usually prepare something uh, that I want to ask you about, um, and I do want to get your perspective on it. And I've got a couple things that I haven't gotten to yet, which is fine because I loved what we've done to this point. And I think it's good to remind listeners that it is the Holy Spirit who opens your heart that uh, because maybe today you said that message is for me. I want that. And that's because mm-hmm. God opened your heart. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, you know, the message of the gospel, I think we should always, as much as we talk about worldview and we talk about a, a myriad of things, um, I think we always need to be telling people about the gospel because 
we've said this, there there are a lot of people who don't yet believe in Jesus, and Bill, there are even some people who don't know there's a Jesus to believe in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nicely stated. I've been studying uh, John 14 the last week, and I've really been going through it slowly and reading it over and over and over. And I get to verse 4, and it says, You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? You know, again, mm. I'm always fascinated that that the uh, d- apostles were confused at times, uh, frequently, by what the Lord was saying. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as we talk about this today, Alex, and I, I think... Thomas was saying, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus settles, settles that score and says, I am the way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, that's one of the, the John fourteen six is a very, very famous verse because Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And notice the, uh, the definite article there, the. Christ is not merely a way to God or a way to be spiritual, quote-unquote. He posited that he was the one and only gateway to salvation. Now, that's, that's a bold, exclusive claim, and a lot of people make a lot of claims. But here's one of the things that's utterly, absolutely different about Jesus. Uh, Jesus gave this unique, exclusive message, but... He coupled it with an unparalleled level of, of proof, not the least of which is his virgin birth, sinless life, miraculous deeds. But ultimately, nobody did this. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus beat the unconquerable enemy. He conquered death. I mean, think about this. And because Jesus was able to come to life under his own power, resurrected, he can give life. And the only way to beat death, uh, poets, writers have talked about, you know, the the biggest enemy and the the you know the the unconquerable mountain, death. It's impossible to beat death, although one man did. It's Jesus, and he said, "Because I live, you will live also." Mm-hmm. Who believe in me? You'll certainly hear people uh, have conversation saying that Christianity is too exclusive yet you find exclusivity in all world religions. I mean, could you imagine saying, I'd like to become a Hindu, but I'm not buying into the reincarnation thing? Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, you couldn't. You know, it's it's interesting. At the conference, uh, we had a Q&A. We always do at our big conferences. And uh, there were a couple of people, there were college students who would come, and they sort of pushed back about the biblical position on morality, gender, human sexuality. And um, Frank Turek, a great speaker, T-U-R-E-K is his last name, Frank Turek, he said, um, you know, are you a Christian? And they said, yes, but, you know, we, we don't like the idea that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We don't like the idea that the Bible says homosexuality is a sin. You know, we don't like the idea that uh, gender is so binary, Genesis one twenty seven, male and female. And Frank Turek, he was very gentle, but he was also very powerful. He says, well, you know, salvation, Jesus, Scripture, morality, righteousness. I mean, if you say you're a Christian, but you deny these things that the Bible is very, very, very clear about, 
And in fact, these areas of truth that Jesus affirmed, he said, in you you deny, you're basically saying Jesus was wrong mm-hmm. about life, eternity, and morality. In, in in what sense are you a follower of Christ if you are on the different side of all these issues from Christ? And that's a, you know, Luke 6.46, Bill, Jesus asked this rhetorical question. Now, a rhetorical question is one where the answer is so obvious, the question barely needs a response. But Jesus asked this question, Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? Ouch. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a probing question, isn't it? Yeah, and one of the things that Frank was hearing from this person questioning him was, I don't like. He kept saying, I don't like. And I think, well, okay, maybe a better way to say it would be, I don't know if I understand the biblical uh, understanding of uh, homosexuality or uh, genders, so help me to understand, versus I don't like. A lot of people don't like stuff. I mean, you and I don't like stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't like that donuts have carbs and calories. I know. I hate that. But but that's reality, you know? And uh, reality whether it be gravity or physics or just history or, you know, any other area of fact, reality doesn't cave in merely because somebody does or doesn't like it, you know? Um, I was listening to a speaker last night, and I thought this was pretty brilliant. He said one of the great afflictions of, of our time is what we call presentism. Presentism assumes that we are right and we can pass judgment, <laughs> you know. Uh, George Washington, bad. Thomas Jefferson, bad. Scripture and the Bible, too narrow, bad. Even Jesus wow. himself, wrong on a few things. And th- there's this hubris, and and fr- I'm just going to say it, this arrogance. Yeah. Um, I-, I will grant you, we have a lot of very impressive electronic devices. We have electric cars, mobile devices, computers. But I would say in terms of of basic intellect, rational thinking, certainly moral awareness, and, and just plain humility, any previous generation of the last 6,000 years has it way above us. Mm-hmm. We might have invented some fancy gadgets, but we're, we're a carnal, subliterate, arrogant generation. Yeah, no kidding. Alex, thank you so much for doing the show today. Always great to talk to you, and I'm glad your your uh, Truth for a New Generation conference was good, and I always look forward to uh, having you on the show. Well, hey, do me a favor. If, if you guys could email me the station's mailing address, I want to put some of these New Believer booklets in yep. the mail, and I, I hope they're a blessing to a lot of yep. listeners. We'll get on that pronto. Thanks, Alex. Have a great day. Bless you, my dear friend. Yep, thank you. Bet. you. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back.
All right, I think it's time to get a little vulnerable in the next half hour. I'm so glad to welcome John Seidel onto the program. He has had a history of uh, anxiety, life-altering OCD, and also some suicidal thoughts. And he knows the value of practical advice grounded in strong biblical truth. And he's written a book about it called Finding Rest, A Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. He is the founder and president of the Veritas Creative. It's a digital media consulting and content creation firm. And he has spent the last decade working with popular organizations like I Am Second and The Courage. He's here to join me now. John, welcome. Bill, thank you so much for having me. I love when I get to come on these great Midwest programs. I'm originally from Wisconsin, so nice. um, I just I just love it. So this is your debut book. Congratulations. Um, what's your next book, or do you want to talk about this one? Yeah, <laughs> my next one is uh, Finding Peace. No, um, uh, no one go out and buy that URL, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, congratulations. Uh, yeah. It's really nice to, to have uh, you as a, a first-time guest and a first-time author on the, on the uh, program. In your book, uh, you really decided to write, write about your own story, which I commend you on. Um, so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the work you were doing with I Am Second and, and really how it led you to write this book. So, you know, I was, at the time, it was about 2014, and I was in charge of all of the writing at I Am Second. So obviously a lot of people know that they make these great, powerful films with celebrities, uh, athletes, you know, you name it, they've been on there. And so I was hired to really create a, a writing engine that complemented the, the, the depths of the film, right, and, and really mirrored that vulnerability. And so I had built a team of freelancers and staff writers, and, and they were all talking about all these issues that they were having and how the Lord was really speaking into them. And there was kind of this Holy Spirit uh, tapping me on the shoulder saying, John, you're holding back. You know, like y- you could be talking about your uh, struggle as well. And I was like, anything but that. I'll talk about <laughs> anything uh-huh. but that. And um, it just, you know, the Holy Spirit just kept tapping me. And so finally, I, I remember I, I locked the door to my office. I sat down and I said, and I typed out the, the title, it's time to tell the world my secret. And so um, I came out and just really talked about struggling with anxiety and uh, OCD, um, being diagnosed in 2014, and, and then this was actually in 2016 that I was writing about it. So struggling with this for, for my whole life and then really coming to grips with it in the last two years before then. Um, and I can't tell you, oh, my goodness, Bill, the reaction that I got to that post was just incredible. And so that was really the impetus for the book. I mean, five years ago, really me coming out and it took five years uh, to to really kind of learn and grow and have the Lord teach me things. And here we are now with the book. John, I'm so glad people loved on you when you came out with that. And it's uh, a, a testament to how important it is for people to show that kind of vulnerability. So I appreciate you doing that. But when it comes to anxiety and mental health, this is something that people are a little reluctant to want to admit to or talk about. They don't want to be seen as a person who's in trouble or, well, why aren't you turning this over to the Lord? Or um, So I'm curious as to your take on why bringing this conversation out in the open is just so important. You know, there's, there's two things. One is that when we bring these things to the light, they have less power over us, right? Amen. Whether 
um, whether it's a sin struggle, which I'm not calling this a sin struggle, let me be clear, but whether it's a sin struggle or whether it's something that you are struggling with like this, when you bring it into life, it loses power over you. The second thing is when we call something by its name, when we don't pretend that it's not there, when we don't just dismiss it, when we name something, we have power over it as well. And so there's a chapter in the book called Call It By Its Name. And the idea is if you look back even just to the beginning of time, Bill, is like the, the, the Lord God gave us, man, dominion over the animals. And one of the ways that we asserted that dominion was by naming them, right? It kind of showed where we are in the hierarchy of creation. And so when, when we name our struggle and then bring it into the light, it loses power over us. That doesn't mean it just goes away and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But we uh, then get to a point where I say we can have a mental health struggle, we can have anxiety, we can have OCD, but it doesn't have to have us. And so that is why I really encourage people just – Get it out there. Get it. Get it out in the open. Talk about it and name it. Mm-hmm. But it's so true, John. Though you put it out in the light, and it starts to lose its power. And even, even um, just saying the words out of your own mouth uh, diminishes its grip. Um, I've I found that to be true with when I do it, and when I hear other people talk about it after they have done it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things you say in your book, which I love, is I want to tell your story. And this is the reader that would be hearing this. And you want to do that by telling your story. I I think I know where you're going with this, but I'd love for you to say more about that. You know, I think one of the things, Bill, that I realized when I wrote that article for I Am Second back in 2016 was when I talk about the reaction I got, I did get a lot of support. And you mentioned that. But I also got a lot of heartbreaking responses. People saying, "My goodness, you know, I've 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 grew up in a faith tradition that said if I just prayed more, if I just had more faith, if I just repented of this and that, then all of this would go away." Or that demonized um, the idea of getting medical help or taking medicine and saying that that was a lack of faith. And so what I what I mean by that is when I say I want to tell your story by telling my story is that. There are people who have been suffering in silence for a long time, and I cannot tell you how many people, how many messages that I get that say, man, I started reading this book, and it was like I was reading my own story, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and that's encouraging, right, because one of the things I talk about in the book and in some of the practical help is we need to be in community, right? And now I know that like I, I, I can't physically be in community with everyone who reads this book, but if that draws them into community, if that draws them into an understanding that they can be open with others, that there are people like them out there, I think it's a win. And that's, again, when, when the disorder starts losing power. Mm-hmm. So in Finding Rest, and my guest is John Seidel. He's written his first book called Finding Rest, A Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. I, again, I want to go back to the fact that you're just uh, speaking from your truth about your life, and you've been very honest about it. And, of course, that always raises this question in my mind. How hard was it for you to do this? I know you've kind of answered that in, in some small part, but I'd love for you to say it some more because a lot of people listening to this right now, John, are going, I need to do this, but I'm too afraid. 
Yeah, and, and I would say that fear is real, right? I had that fear, and I, and I talk about a conversation in the book where I did have to talk to my mom, who um, was one of those people who um, really did believe for a long time that if you just had enough faith, if you just you know, confessed the right things over yourself, that you wouldn't struggle. And so I'm not going to pretend that it's the easiest thing, right? But what I can tell you is that when you do it, there is a freedom that, that, that does occur. And I would say this too, Bill. I mean, when I when I talked about in two, uh, coming out in 2016, you know, there was a fear, a real fear that, you know, all those who ever I, I I would ever work with or do business with or do life with would would kind of um, label me as the guy that, well, John, that's just your OCD kicking in, right? You know, maybe there's something I'm really passionate about at work, and I say, no, guys, we're doing this the wrong way. We really need to we really need to think about it this way. You know, I had this fear of, oh, John, that's that's just that's just that's just John and his OCD. Mm, interesting. Um, what I what I can say though is that well, actually, that did end up happening one time. <laughs> After this, I can say that the freedom that I found in talking about it, and then the the encouragement that it has been for me to talk with others about it, far outweighs any of those you know, those momentary setbacks. And so I can, as someone who has been there, I can encourage you that it doesn't, you know, the weight of those times and moments is not as heavy as if you leave it inside. Mm -hmm. John, I'd love for you to uh, try to define OCD as it relates to anxiety. I don't know how those two, are they, are they cousins or how do they relate? And I know a lot of people have come to some very wrong conclusions on OCD and what it is. Yeah, you know, I think it, you know it's very common to you know people kind of throw it around as a term. Oh, that's just my OCD, right? Um, and I, by the way, don't get offended by that, you know. Uh, but what I tell people, so basically, it's like one of those middle school word problems where you have everyone <laughs> that has OCD yeah. has anxiety. Okay. Not everyone who has anxiety has OCD, right? True. OCD is kind of a subset of anxiety, and really is a way that you kind of deal with the anxiety, right? So my OCD is called intrusive thought OCD. It's not necessarily the, you know, the Howie Mandel who washes his hands, you know, 250 times a day or checks the door locks, you know, 100 times before bed. Mine are thoughts that get in my head that I, that I just can't get out, right? And no matter how many times I, quote, unquote, try to take them captive, right, there's, there's things in my brain that doesn't allow me to do that. There's, there's levels that are off. There's synapses that are misfiring. And so – OCD is kind of that it's it's a subset and a type of anxiety, and it's not uncommon for anyone who has kind of a generalized anxiety disorder to have a little bit of that in them. Mm-hmm. John Seidel's my guest. We're talking about Finding Rest, his new book. So how would you like listeners or people who get a copy of this book uh, to use it? What, what would you suggest would be a, a good jumping-off point with this uh, book? <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny you say that. My mother-in-law has... Um, a favorite, a favorite line in the book, right? And and so I'll, I'll I'll tell you that line because it really answers the question. I tell people at the end of the introdu- introduction that I want them to read the book to find hope. I want them to use it to get help, and I want them to embrace it to find rest. And so the idea is that this is the start of a conversation, right? Now maybe this is someone who you think well. Things are, I feel like I'm anxious, right? I feel like I can't, I have thoughts I can't get out of my head. Use the book to help you kind of make sense of that, right? Um, Maybe you're someone who knows that you have these things and you're wrestling with 
how do I battle these, right? I try to be practical in the book as well. And then I especially chalk it full of physical um, uh, things that you can do, but also spiritual truths that you need to embrace to really find rest. And what I explain to people is, listen, rest in this sense is not an absence of all of your worry. It's not an absence of all of your trouble. Rest in this case is Think about it in the context of a war. There are battles in a war, and in between those battles, the soldiers go back uh, behind the front lines, and they, and they, they eat, they rest up, they, they heal their wounds. We've been given the armor of God, and that assumes that we're going to be in a battle, right? So I, I, I'm not telling people just run away, and this is the way to get rid of the battle, but it's how to find rest and respite in the, in the moments between those battles when you fight this. That is a great line from your book, John, but I'm mostly surprised that your mother-in-law has read it. Yeah. <laughs> i tell you what. My mother-in-law, you know, a lot of people have a, a, a ten, a tension-filled relationships with their in-laws. Me and my in-laws, I tell you what, we have a great relationship, and it's really great when you need a babysitter for your kids because yeah. you never have to worry about it. Well, here's a new surprise. Your mother-in-law is my next guest on the show, so we'll find out from her. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me take a little break. A little break. John Seidel is my guest. His book is called Finding Rest, A Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. We'll be right back. My guest, Jonathan Seidel, has been very honest about his own struggles with anxiety and OCD. He's written about it in his debut book called Finding Rest, A Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. And we've been chatting about this very topic, and I know there's a lot of people that struggle with mental health issues, and I would venture to say that there have been many more that have developed them in the last couple of years with all the craziness of the world and the COVID shutdown. And this book is a very timely book. Um, but John, as we think about mental health issues, and let's talk a little bit about the church's response to people that are facing uh, some mental health issues. How are we doing in that department? Can we do better or maybe you can give us some tips or some help here? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think historically the church has not liked to talk about it, right? I do think that there is this underlying, and this goes from Baptist to Presbyterian to Pentecostal, right? Is that there's just, there is this kind of idea that if you just have enough faith, you just pray enough if you repent. Or, or if you do something like take medication, you're saying that you're, you don't have any of, uh, uh, of the faith that it takes. Um, and, and I think that's historically been the posture of, the church. And now, obviously, I, I don't want to paint a wide brush and say that every church uh, across the, the, the globe uh, views it like that. But I think that's generally been the, my experience. And, and I can tell you from talking to people about this issue across the country that that's been their experience. And so what I like to tell the church is there, there's, there's three things 
you really need to do. And, and then I provide some other really, really concrete examples of what they can do in the book as well is you have to, first of all, admit it, right? Admit that it's in your pews. Listen, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of mm. preachers, you know, struggled with depression. He, he, he and his wife would often mentor young pastors and he would write to them about these periods that they will go through of melancholy, right? And, and he has this great quote. He says, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. He, he had a lot of waves in his life, you know? And so one, we have to admit it, that it's in your pew. Two, point people upward. Yes, point us to Christ. You know, even though I say that this is a physical battle and spiritual battle, that doesn't mean I'm saying it's only a physical battle, right? And I'm not saying it's only a spiritual battle, but there are truths and deeper truths that we need to understand and learn. Listen, I, I say there are some deep-rooted heart issues in my life. There are uh, pride. There is a lack of trust. There is a, there is a, a want and need to, to control everything, right? Those are heart issues, right? So point me to the truth in Scripture on those things with the idea that I have to address the physical before I can ever address the spiritual, right? I mean, if I want to read a book, I have to put my, my glasses on, right? If I never put my glasses on, it doesn't matter how many times you tell me what's in a book, I will not be able to read it, mm, right? Good point. And so for me, I have to address the physical. So I take my medication, I get exercise, I change my eating habits, and I, and I make sure to get sleep, just to name a few, right? So then, so point us, point us upward, and then point us outward. Listen, I think too many times in this country, um, we 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 treat pastors as the end all be all, right? And so what I tell pastors is, pastor, I am freeing you up. Church leader, I am freeing you up. I am telling you that you don't have to have all the answers because too many times they're the, they're the, the, they're the lead preacher, they're the counselor, and they're probably also the head janitor, right? And so there are so many things that they are trying to do on a week-to-week basis. So it, it's okay to admit that if someone comes to you with a mental health issue, and you're not equipped for that, find resources, find local counselors that you feel comfortable pointing them out to, and you can support them as they're finding help elsewhere. And so be humble enough to admit you don't have to have all the answers. John, I want to be super sensitive to church history on this subject, because I know we we have good intentions and want to do our best to help people, but... Do you think that the church, in a way, have been a little reductionistic where we hear about a problem and then we instantly apply what we believe the solution to be? You know, Bill, I call this coffee cup Christianity, right, where someone may come to you and let's say they're struggling with, with an anxious thought or something, and, and we kind of just want to give them that, that, that verse that sits on a coffee cup. Well, here's a little Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, mm-hmm. for you, right? And, and, and we say that all these issues can be handled by this one verse. Right. Or, or, well, you, you're anxious, John. Listen, Jesus says, don't be anxious. And I talked about in the book how a lot of times those scriptures were used not to help me, but they were used to minimize what I was going through. Right. Because the person didn't really know what to say. And so, again, I kind of come back to this idea of it's OK if you don't know how to truly help someone going through what, what I would call clinical anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right. And don't reduce it to this coffee cup Christianity that just says, well, the Bible says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John, you just need to meditate on that scripture. You know, no, there's more to that. Be willing to sit with me 
in my anxiety without having to feel like you have to come up with every answer. Yeah, I'm, I understand that. And if someone is having a diabetic attack and they need insulin, you don't just pop a verse to them. You help them <laughs> medically. Um, but, exactly. Yeah. Um, so when you uh, wrote the book and you're on this journey and you had some mental health issues and some OCD and some suicidal thoughts and all that, what surprised you m- the most? What discovery did you make about yourself writing this book regarding your own mental health? You know, I think what I realized is that it's multifaceted, right? So I talked earlier about this idea that it's both physical and spiritual. I think when I first started on this road, I was looking for that, what's that one thing? What's that one thing that will just make this all go away, right? And what I found was there is no just one thing, right? And so, you know, I've talked a couple times just in passing about medication. Listen, There is no magic pill that makes this go away, right? Do I take a pill? Yes. But I also have to put in the work. And so what I realized is that this is a a mind, body, and spirit issue. And I have to address it wholeheartedly in all of those facets, right? So so, so some people say, well, John, like, you, you have to focus more on the physical or more on the spiritual? And I say, yes. You know, it, it, it's really one of those, where, where are you deficient in this time of your life, right? And so really realizing that this is a, this is an issue that covers so much of who we are as a person. It's not just one thing that requires one answer. Mm. Well said. Um, when you talk about in your book, Finding Rest, you do say that anxiety isn't always a bad thing yet it has a negative connotation. Now, why, why isn't anxiety a bad thing? You have, you have some explaining to do here. Yeah, that's a great question. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll start this way. Um, a couple of years ago, I went with some friends into the Alaskan bush. We took a plane. They dropped us off in the middle of nowhere. No roads, no nothing, right? If we needed to get out, we had to... You can stop the story a, right a, here. I don't want any, I don't yeah. want any nightmares. <laughs> Because I'm already having it. Yeah, right. And so, listen, I had a, I had a real and healthy anxiety that <laughs> I was going to get eaten by a bear. Right? As do I. And so, right. And so what I would do is, so when I had to go to the bathroom, which was in an outhouse, I would yell, hey, bear, and I would make noise. And I would, there was this healthy anxiety. So anxiety is, a, is your fight or flight response. It's just overactive, right? So listen, there are good aspects of your anxiety. I want you to want to preserve yourself, right? It's self-preservation. Listen, Bill, if you do come across a bear on the trail, you're going to go into fight or flight. I hope you don't try to fight the bear. I hope you turn around and run, right? And that's a healthy, right thing to do. And so even with my OCD, there are times where, you know, listen, uh, if you give me a project or a task to do, you better believe that I'm not just going to meet the deadline. I'm going to exceed the deadline, right? Mm-hmm. You better believe that if you ask me to come up with a, a presentation um, about, you know, winged birds, it's going to be a beautiful presentation with graphics and pictures and this and that, right? And so I think the Lord is good enough to redeem those aspects that can be uh, used for harm, for good, right? It, it turns me into a really good employee. And so I tell 
couples, especially all the time, they say, oh, my husband or my wife is struggling with OCD. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be awful. They're never going to be the same. But what I say is they're still the same person. And there's a lot of ways that their uh, struggle can be used for good. And God is faithful to do that. Yeah, John, if I encounter a bear in the woods, I'm pretty sure I'm going to the bathroom <laughs> if you catch my drift. <laughs> All right, we we only have about ninety seconds left. At the end of your book, you you uh, you end it with the fourteen truths. Can you give us a uh, a little view of that from thirty thousand feet? I'll tell you what. I'll focus on one of them that I love. Okay, and it kind of goes back to what I just said. You got to understand a proper theology of suffering. We don't do that well enough in the church today. Mm. And so, what that means is anything you go through, God is not causing it. He's faithful enough to redeem it, and he's going to use this for your good and his glory. We know that because of the scriptures, and I outline them there. And so here's what I tell people. Do not judge God by your circumstances, but rather judge your circumstances by who you know God is. Mm-hmm. You know that he's not evil, and he's not causing this, and he's going to use it for your good and his glory. Yeah. And I unpack that in detail, and so I'd love people to just take that nugget with them. Thank you. You've been a delight, John. So glad you came on the show. Thanks, Bill. Really appreciate it. You bet. John Seidel's been my guest, and his book is Finding Rest. Debut. It's debut book. Very excited. The Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.